horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And good evening. Well, the big ones are behind us. That's right. The Breeders' Cup was last Friday and Saturday. And uh, my first guest is going to be a gentleman who uh, was on the scene, uh, not just uh, during the Breeders' Cup days, but was on the scene for weeks ahead. And that's none other than Jay Cribman. Of course, you know him as an award-winning writer. And uh, Jay, you know, lives out on the West Coast. The... uh, uh, that is his beat for the most part, though he covers, you know, the Derby and the Breeders' Cup, wherever it is. But this year he was lucky because it was right there in his backyard. <clears throat> uh, now, in addition to talking to Jay, and I'm really looking forward to it, we're just going to kind of look at the impact that it may have, uh, different things. Uh, as you know, we did have one setback. We were, oh, about a furlong away from a tragedy-free Breeders' Cup, but instead, well, racing's getting kicked around again. And uh, what can I say? Uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's a tragedy. Uh, some people are trying to use it to, to bash the sport even more. Um, and uh, for that reason, we're bringing in Dr. Nicholas Latinas. Uh, just had some late-breaking information that came out today from the North American Association of Racetrack Veterinarians. Uh, I believe that they were out uh, at the meetings in Arizona, and uh, the doctor is kind enough to step away from a private party and talk to us uh, uh, about the different uh, implementations that are trying to take place they're trying they're, they're trying to boost the sport up but what they're saying is is that uh, you know a lot of that's going to rely on the the trainer and the trainer updating his skills and updating the things that are available and to use uh, in the evaluation of his horses uh, so it'll be interesting there was a lot that was that was put out there uh, in, in the release and uh, it'll be very interesting uh, to hear what uh, what he has to say. Of course, uh, that that's a wrap up on our guest. Now, I am happy to tell you that winning ponies through our analytics and our system and our easy win forms came up with a fifty five thousand six hundred sixty eight dollar fix six on Breeders' Cup Day. I told you that's when the money gets lost, and even though some favorites nailed them down, still 55668 <clears throat> Uh And some other winners, uh, you know, we have them everywhere. Just yesterday at, uh, at Parks, we had a uh, $1 pick three that paid 1960 and down the warm weather, a $1 Super 5 key paid $2,032. And right down the road here yesterday at Churchill Downs, a 50-cent Super 5 paid 
45 cents. Excuse me if my voice is a little raspy. Uh, the only living things I've had to talk to in the last uh, oh, six days or so are animals here on the farm that I'm taking care of. I'm about a mile from Steve Coffin's uh, dream fields right now. And uh, other than that, um, good to talk to you because I haven't talked to a human being in quite a while. But uh, anyhow, we will be talking to Dr. Nicholas Tennis and Jay Pridman when that comes on. And again, congratulations to whatever winning ponies fan uh, hit the pick six for $55,000. All right, some interesting shakeouts uh, to look at. Uh, Curlin now is the second classic winner to sire a classic winner. Who was the other one? Drumroll, please. Awesome again, who sired Ghost Zapper. Uh, but um, prominent Curlin is really making his mark on the breed and certainly made it last Saturday with Vino Rosso, uh, $410 yearling, trained by Todd Plusher, uh, ridden, I mean, owned by uh, Rapoli and St. Eliza's Stable. You'll remember them from the big races they've won over the years, including the Kentucky Derby. So uh, Vino Rosso, End of his career, but what a way to end it with $6 million race. And it really was a great race and a great couple of days for Irad Ortiz. We'll get into the deal and uh, the specifics of that here in a minute. But nonetheless, uh, congratulations to Curlin and congratulations to Vino Rosso. Again, we'll be talking more of that to Jay Prippen. And of course, uh, though I was praying this would never be a part of the conversation, we've got to talk about Mongolian groom. Uh, he was euthanized after the Breeders' Cup Classic breakdown, um, and uh, they just uh, they saw rather quickly after breaking down in the stretch uh, that he wasn't going to be able to make it, and uh, he was euthanized right there at the Equine Hospital at Santa Anita. So again, has been raising a lot of eyebrows. We'll discuss that with both of our guests. Now, I alluded to Irad Ortiz. This was a slam dunk. He got Jackie of the Week honors after four Breeders' Cup victories. What a year. This kid is amazing. Uh, what can I say? Uh, yeah, of course, he was aboard Vino Rosso for the Breeders' Cup Classic. And, uh, well, it started uh, uh, early. Uh, he uh, had uh, wins on Friday. The big one, of course, that we loved was the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, and wasn't a great four-wheel drive, got the win, but he is a son of American Pharaoh. And uh, it's so great to see American Pharaoh taking off uh, in the ranks of stallions. And this is his first crop. These are two-year-olds. Who knows what American Pharaoh has coming down the road. So four-wheel drive, trained by Wes Ward, uh, American Pharaoh had no problem stretching out. We'll see if Wes Ward can stretch this horse out. Uh, that was his first race uh, on on the uh, stretching out to... No, this was back to five furlongs. It was a, a turf sprint. But four-wheel drive by Rad Ortiz. Three wins, undefeated right now. It'll be interesting to see if he does want to try to switch over to dirt courses. And then on Saturday, Ortiz... And back to the winner's circle three more times. First in the million dollar, and you've got to love this name, the Big Ass 
Bands Breeders' Cup dirt file. It's a grade one. He did it with Spunder Run, who paid $20.20. Don't forget the horse he beat in there was Omaha Beach, who I believe is going to stay in training and has his eyes on another race before the season is out. Again, probably hoping for the Pegasus down the road. But uh, big upset there. Omaha Beach may have been a single on a lot of people's tickets. And then uh, I read Ortiz followed that with a win in the $4 million Longines Breeders' Cup turf, bricks and mortar, rallying to win by a head. And a question I'll have for Jay Pribman, does this mean bricks and mortar is horse of the year? Well, there's a couple more horses in there that have something to say about it. And of course, uh, I, I do believe off of his Classic win, Vino Rosso just didn't do enough during the year to get horse of the year. But uh, I read Ortiz was up for that, and that one paid eleven twenty. Of course, the talk of the town was McKenzie, who uh, turned in a finish four lengths ahead of higher power. Um, he won other minor races, the domestic stakes with Roadster, third in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint, and the Breeders' Cup Mile. Uh, just unbelievable. So Ortiz with the leading jockey by total earnings for a week with, catch this, $7,316,845. Of that amount, $7,252,000 were earned in stakes races. So he finished in the money on 60% of his 22 mounts for the week, including six wins. He has... 1,275 wins in 2009, and he has 2,357 wins in 12,000 career starts. This kid is something else. It's his world, and we're just living in it. Well, we are seeing some of the horses shake out from the Breeders' Cup and heading down to the Bluegrass for their life. Yoshida retires to Windstar Farm. And it looks like he's going to stand at Windstar for $20,000. Yoshida earned $2.5 million while he was trained by Bill Mott from two through five. So certainly had soundness going. Had a lot of tough beats, I'll tell you. But uh, they're really excited to have him down there. Uh, Broke his maiden back at Keeneland in a second career start. And um, he was bred, if you notice the name, Yoshida. He was bred in Japan by Katsumi Yoshida's Northern Farm, um, and uh, it was purchased for about $850,000. I don't know what the breakdown is in 94 million yen. But uh, nonetheless, he was a versatile racehorse, uh, won prestigious grade one races on dirt and turf, and they are very happy to have him down there at Windstar Farm. He's, of course, a very good-looking horse if you've ever had the chance to see him in person. Now, you can go see... Vino Rosso in person tomorrow. He's going to be, he pulled into Spendthrift today. And believe they're going to clean up and get him ready. It's a little chilly down here right now. And uh, again, he's a son of Curlin. So how popular that's going to be. But they are having a public showing for him tomorrow uh, from 1 to 3. Also retiring to uh, Spendthrift is Colefront, who's a five-time grade stakes winning millionaire. And he came with him, and he's going to be available for inspection also. So they say they came to the farm in great shape, according to Ned Toffey, Spencer's general manager. And he just said, it's not every day you get to stand a Breeders' Cup Classic winner, especially one that's well-bred and good-looking as Vino Rosso. Uh, he did earn 
$4,803,000 on the track, and he's going to stand his first season in 2020 for a fee of what I think is pretty fair in this day and age for a son of Curlin who won the Classic, $30,000. Now, Colfront, he earned $1.8 million. He's going to stand for $5,000. That sounds like a good deal to me. Of course, Spencer, if it was on the, the cutting edge there, and uh, they're, they're bringing in their hot stallions, that's for sure. Uh, late breaking news before we go to break, uh, just the last story I saw pop up. It looks like because of the governor's race in Kentucky that there's a better chance now for sports gambling passage in 2020. He was the Democrat, Andy Bashir, narrow victory over Governor Matt Bevin, only 5,000 votes for a whole state separated him. But uh, I won't go into detail, but basically we'll have to get Damon Thayer back on with us uh, to see what's going on. But uh, they are saying that the outlook for expanded uh, gambling uh, is a little more favorable in 2020 in the bluegrass stakes. All right, well, that's a rapid-fire look at the national news from last week. When we come back, we're going to talk to one of the smoothest guys in the business, a talented writer, and he has great insights, the one, the only, Jay Privman with the Daily Racing Forum. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. 
Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me now, I prefaced it at the top of the show. I understand we're having some technical difficulties. But with me right now, I hope he can hear me, the one and the only Jay Privman. Jay, am I coming through? You are, John. How are you? Oh, you, you sound pretty good. I'm downstairs in a basement studio, and uh, you're going to have to forgive me. I'm going to keep talking, but, of course, as soon as I get down here, the, the dogs are going nuts. I don't know if somebody's breaking into the house. I'm farm sitting for some friends, and if you ever wanted to... Uh, had a, a chance of futility. Try three dogs, two cats, five horses, and a dozen chickens. And of course, they only freak out when I am not available. So we'll see who's out there. Anyhow, Jay, uh, I might even have better connection now that I'm upstairs. Um, tell me, uh, first of all, how are you and how have you been doing and how was your breeders' cup? Um, good, John. It's good to be with you. The, the you know the Breeders' Cup was uh, largely a, a terrific event. We saw a lot of outstanding performances, uh, you know, over the the two days. But, you know, by the likes of Bricks and Mortar and Matoli, who've emerged as the top two ranked candidates for Horse of the Year right now. We saw some crazy upsets. We saw a great performance by Vino Rosso. But you know, obviously the weekend en- ended on a real tragic note with Mongolian groom and it just kind of took the, uh, you know, if, if that race ends the way, uh, the others had, I think we'd all have a, you know, be feeling a lot different than we, than we were coming out of the event as it turned out. Absolutely. You know, I, I watched every race with, uh, my fingers crossed and finally was ready to take that deep breath thinking we're well, only if, furlong away from a perfect card and all of a sudden that happened i mean it was just it was uh it was just so bad now we're now we're sitting here taking more black eyes but uh you know maybe we can move forward and show more uh yeah i mean having a doctor come on after you uh, a veterinarian where they're reaching for positive things we can do to try to stop this but come on the horse was trained by todd fletcher i mean do you think it wasn't getting the best of care well, Vino Rosso's trained by Todd Pletcher. The horse that, that went wrong is not trained by Todd Pletcher. Oh, no, so, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confused. It, 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 yeah, well, somebody breaking into the house kind of got, got me. 
took me off my game a little bit there. Uh, but, uh, no, I believe it was a uh, uh, Mongolian, Anabish uh, uh, Ganbat, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, he won the, you know, and he trained a Breeders' Cup winner before. He won the turf sprint with Mongolian Saturday at Keeneland four years ago. Um, right. So he's had success at, at this level before. That was, that was quite a scene. I, I was there that day. Well, uh, what were some of your favorite uh, takeaways uh, from the Breeders' Cup, either Friday or Saturday? Well, on, on Friday, the... I, I really, uh, the biggest takeaway was just the condition of the track. I think really the main track really impacted all, the way a lot of horses performed. You saw a lot of horses stumble at the start of their races, most notably Dennis's moment. Right. Um, you saw a crazy upset in that race and you saw in the, in the juvenile Phillies, you know, some really top horses just come home like they were going through quicksand. Um, but you know, British idiom won that race and that was the first of, two winners on the weekend for Brad Cox, who came back on Saturday and won the Philly and Mare Sprint with Kofefe, and that was the first of the nine races on Saturday. And I thought she ran a terrific race, and we saw a number of just outstanding performances as the day went on. Uh, it'd be hard to pick one out over another because Uni in the mile was fantastic. Uh, like we've mentioned earlier, I thought the win by Vino Rosso was, uh, was one of the best performances I've seen all year. He had bricks and mortar completing an undefeated season with his win in the turf. And the, the sprint for me was on paper, the best, most interesting race going in because you had the likes of Matoli and Chancelot and Whitmore and Catalina Cruiser and Chancelot got clear and Matoli ran him down. Uh, and that was, to me, that was uh, as, as good a race as, as we've seen. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed pretty much the whole weekend until the last 15 seconds, basically. Exactly. Well, I, you, you brought up the Matoli's race. I kept thinking, man, is that horse going to get there? What a ride that Matoli got in that race. Of course, uh, we've been seeing it, uh, uh, you know, Ricardo Santana when he teams up with Asmussen. I'm trying to look at my racing form here. Uh, 21% jockey-trainer combination. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for uh, the Vanderbilt, uh, this horse would be undefeated this year. So, you know, you've got to get that in there. But, again, bricks and mortar, one of my favorite horses since I saw a race on on Derby Day. And it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, where the the voters uh, size those two up. Do you give anybody a head bob at the wire? Well, I think, I mean, the the NTRA poll that came out the other day had a, pretty lopsided they were one two but there were 44 people who voted and 42 first place votes were for bricks and mortar and just two for matoli and i was shocked that the margin was that wide i certainly understand why there'd be support for both horses but i think it's a lot closer of an argument uh in terms of their performances during the year and i was shocked that it was that lopsided and i'd have to say that just based on that um, you'd have to obviously make bricks and mortar the favorite to be horse of the year. Well, uh, in <laughs> yeah, talk about uh, you know some of the things that happened and, and upsets. Uh, you're out there. You're you're close to uh, the connections here. Uh, 
Omaha Beach? Was it just uh, it was it just fun to run day and nobody was going to get by him, or uh, do you think Omaha Beach uh, had any legitimate excuse in there? I mean, it might be both. I don't know if Omaha Beach was going to be was going to beat Spunderun because Spunderun was coming off a big race at Parks and seemed like he ran back to it with that wire to wire performance in the Dirt Mile. But the Omaha Beach got off poorly. He was yet another horse who had the ground break out from under him at the start of the race, and he was well back. Uh, he was farther back earlier than you would have thought for a horse that was coming off a win over Chancellot in the. San Anita Sprint Championship, so the position that he lost early certainly compromised his chances, and I thought he made a nice run to be second. Now, if he breaks well and he's right up there with Spun to run, does he beat him? I, I, I can't make that uh, argument. I, I mean, he might have, but I, I can't say that with certainty because Spun to run certainly ran a big race. Well, uh, I, I guess, you know, Omaha Beach and his connections still have something to prove. I mean, remember coming into the Derby, all the excitement about it, and then it just seemed like it was it was one thing after another after another. I, I do believe I read where uh, he's going to uh, come back out west uh, before uh, Christmas. Is that correct? Yeah, he's going to run in the Malibu. The, the, the plan right now, Mandela told me on Sunday morning, is to run in the Malibu, which is a grade one, seven furlong race at Santa Anita on opening day of their main winter meeting on December 26th. And then, you know, assuming he runs well in that race, they'd have time for one more start in the Pegasus at Gulfstream at the end of January before he goes off to stud. Uh, Well, I was hoping he would stick around as a four-year-old because he did stub his toe so many times as a three-year-old, but, uh, now, money talks, and we see a lot of good horse walk. Uh, you know, we just stated earlier that about an hour from here uh, that uh, Vino Rosso and Cole Front will be uh, heading away. But, of course, uh, Vino Rosso wasn't a uh, three-year-old. He was four. And uh, with uh, being the son of Curlin, who now is one of the few horses alongside uh, Awesome again, that's a classic winner that sired a classic winner, I think at $30,000, Vino Rosso is going to be very popular. Yeah, I mean, Curlin's certainly been a terrific stallion, and this is you know, one of the best sons he's had. He was a good-looking horse and cost a lot of money as a yearling and went on to prove himself and got better as you know, he, was a, he was a good three-year-old. He won the Wood Memorial, but he was obviously a better horse at four. And it's nice to see horses like that get a, a good chance at stud because we need, we need more of those stout kind of horses. Well, Jay, I keep telling you I'm going to get you to autograph my Breeders' Cup book, but the thing is such a big coffee table book, I'm not sure I'd, I'd, I'd make it to the backstretch to get you to sign it. You've covered so many Breeders' Cups, um, and I know this is going to be a real tough question to answer, but was there a year, a race, or a horse that kind of grabbed your heart the most? I mean, there have been so many. I mean, I've been, I've been to every Breeders' Cup, so I it's uh, there have been just great memories over the years, John. But, I mean, the, the one moment that probably stands out most to me, if I had to pick one, was when Zenyatta won the Classic at Santa wow. Anita because of the, the scene there that day. It was in front of her home crowd, and she came from well back and beat the boys and the, the big call from Trevor Denman. And I actually was watching that race about, I don't know, 30 yards from John Sheriff's, if that, because I was tasked to be the person to interview him for TV if he won the race, and he liked to watch the race about 70 yards up the stretch from the finish line near the outside rail. Um, so that that's probably my, 
if I had, if somebody said, oh, you got to pick one memory and one memory only, that would be the one that stands out. But, you know, to, there, there's been so many other great things I've seen over the years, like the Sunday Silence Easygoer finale in the classic at Gulfstream Park or American Pharaoh sailing off into the sunset with his big win in the, uh, in the classic at Keeneland just four years ago and, and on and on and on. Going back to the first one, just the great wild again, slew of gold gate dancer stretch run. So there, and many more in between. I mean, you know, the, the, the songbird, songbird, the holder beating songbird just a few years ago at, at Santa Anita was a great race in the distaff. There, there's just been so many great races in that event over the years. Well, see, now, now I'm waiting for the book to come out, Jay Pribman's Best Breeders' Cup Moment, huh? <laughs> There's an idea. I like it. I think we, maybe, maybe for I the think 40th we anniversary. Need that. Absolutely. I, let's get the form behind this. I mean, you know, let's get a hardcover out there uh, because uh, it, it's long overdue. It's been a while since the, my coffee table book has been put out, um, you know, so... I, I think we need to start talking to some publishers. Yeah, no, it's it's been like 19 years now. That thing came out in 01. <laughs> so you didn't know you were going to be asked it's that been question. A while. And right off the top of your head, you were able to reel off. It's like, okay, it would be Zenyatta, but then it's got to be, well, perhaps. And then again, I mean, really, uh, this series has created some amazing memories. It's It's just been a great event. It's a championship event, and... You know, just this last, last weekend, you talk about the performances of Matoli and Bricks and Mortar and Uni and Kofefi. It's just Fino Rosso. There's just, just so many great performances every year, and it's, it's, it's just a great event. I really love it. Well, I, I have to ask you on a personal note. I know that it's a job, but do you feel kind of blessed that you've been able to do this for every Breeders' Cup? Oh, no question. I mean, you know, this it's been been a privilege to do this i've seen you know i was a fan growing up just like you and and you know to make a career out of this is is, is i'm incredibly lucky because uh, I, I would have been a fan regardless but to have made it my career is just something i certainly hoped for but never really when i was 15 16 years old would have thought possible so it's it's i'm very lucky that it worked out i've seen all these great races and not only the Breeders' Cup, but all the you know, triple crowns that I've covered and the people that I've met and the places that I've been able to go owing to racing. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a great thing. Well, you, you mentioned some of the great races and the great horses, and uh, this is going to be another tough question to answer. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I want to know the answer. Is Who are some of your favorite people that you've been able to cover over the years? Well, in terms of trainers, I mean, there's just so many. I, it's, it's almost unfair to, you know, pick out some because I still deal with a, a lot of them. Um, but, you know, going back, two of my favorite people early on were uh, John Gosden, who was still based in California when I started out before he returned to his native England, and Eddie Gregson, who won the first Kentucky Derby I ever covered with Gato Del Sol back in 1982. Both of them were two of the, two of the smartest people I've ever met, two of the best interviews I've ever had and you know certainly you know Eddie passed away almost 20 years ago now but just certainly always enjoyed dealing with with him and I'm still grateful to see John when he comes over for for the Breeders Cup each year and you know jockeys I've always had a great relationship with 
with, with the riders, but, you know, in particular, Lafitte Pinkai and, uh, and Jerry Bailey, uh, who I had great respect for when he rode and have worked with over the years and in, in media responsibilities as well. So uh, I'm not going to mention current guys because there's still a lot of guys out there that I love dealing with and I don't want to pick favorites, you know, because there's a lot of them and I don't, I don't want to name one guy and, and then uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've not named somebody else. It's just I, I'm going to stick with guys that are retired <laughs> or aren't in this country Good. anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> but those, are, those are that, some that, of the trainers and jocks that I've really enjoyed dealing with over the years. Well, uh, again, you're blessed to be out there with the riders that you do have. And, again, I'm not asking for any names, but, you know, when, when I go back and, you know, I talk to, some of these guys, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, Eddie D and Chris McCarron and, uh, you know, people that maybe went out on the West Coast for the first time and they sat in that jacks room, they looked around and saw Big Kai and Shoemaker. It was like, holy cow, I'm in some deep water. I mean, the jockey colonies out there have always been stupendous. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, another guy that I've always got on really well with and is now retired, so I feel safe mentioning him as well as Gary Stevens. Uh, and he was part of that crew when I first came around, uh, like you mentioned. I, mean, I was really lucky. When I first started covering racing, it was Pinkai and McCarran. Shu was still riding. I got on well with him. Uh, you know, Sandy Hawley, Don Pierce was still riding back then. Uh, and, and then on through the years, you know, Pat Valenzuela, Corey Nakatani, the, the, the colony out here has just been tremendous over the years. Right. You brought up a name of one of the guys that, that told me the very thing that, uh, that I stated about how, you know, daunted he was when he looked around the room, and that was Sandy Hawley. Uh, I, I kind of run around in the same neighborhood as him and get to see him qu- quite a bit. And uh, the guy that was a hero of mine is not now a friend. And uh, that, that's kind of a nice thing in this sport that, uh, you know, people I knew, like, uh, you know, Steve Coffin and Pat Day that I, you know, held up as, you know, the gods of racing. Now I can walk into a place and they'll say hi to me before they say hi to them. I mean, it's just a fantastic uh, part of the game. I guess you're just going to stick around long enough and be a good guy. <laughs> well, you, you're certainly that. And it's, and it, it is one of the fun things about doing this for as long as we have, you, you build up relationships with people and it's, it makes it really satisfying. All right. Well, Jay, I've kept you longer than I told you I would, but I always love having you on the show. Uh, thanks for your great coverage of the Breeders' Cup, and uh, good luck in the weeks, months, and years ahead, my friend. All right, John. Thanks for having me on. I always enjoy being with you. All right. We've been talking to award-winning writer Jay Pridman from the Daily Racing Forum, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Dr. Nicholas Martinez, a uh, very interesting uh, proposal that came out of the, the meetings in Arizona this week. So we're going to take a little bit of a break, and I know the doc's got to get out from the party he's at, and when he does, we'll be talking to him. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. What? 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and I am so lucky to have our next guest, uh... I got a, uh, an email this morning, uh, one that JR Communications put out, Jenny Reese, of course, uh, talking about the North American Association of Racetrack Veterinarians, and I said, boy, there were some good things in that uh, uh, press release, and I wanted to follow up on it, and uh, I was uh, blessed to get a call back from Dr. Nicholas Matinus, and correct me if I'm saying that wrong, Dr. Uh, Matinus. Matinus. Okay, I should have written yeah. it out phonetically. Well, uh, before we get to uh, the uh, topic, uh, can can you tell us a little bit about you know your background and why you chose the profession that you did dealing with horses? Well, that's an easy one. Um, my dad was a standard bred and thoroughbred trainer in his lifetime, and uh, he grew up in the and his career was at Roosevelt and Yonkers Raceway in the. 60s, 70s, and 80s, 
And uh, in the early 90s, he switched over to thoroughbreds. And, uh, you know, just like a son who wants to follow in his father's footsteps, that's kind of what I did. Um, but I was fortunate enough to be academically inclined and uh, competitive. And I thought what a great way it would be to stay in the sport and uh, do something academically challenging and rewarding as well. So uh, what what veterinary school did you go to? Uh, I went to Cornell. Uh, for undergraduate and veterinary school. Nice so I'm a New York there. resident. I was, I was a New York resident, uh, born and raised there, and I came to Maryland uh, after vet school in, um, way back when. <laughs> well, I was a New York resident, too, for uh, most of my uh, young life. Well, what part of the state were you from? Uh, I was from Long Island. I was about uh, 20 minutes from Belmont Park, and about, you know, 40 minutes from Yonkers and about an hour from the Meadowlands. So we were on the north shore of Long Island. Dad had a beautiful, uh, small seven-acre farm, uh, but we did raise uh, New York breads there and um, had a lovely childhood. Well, it sounds like you've got a great background, and uh, so what's good about it is you're, you're kind of coming into being a veterinarian with already having the love of the sport, not looking at it as a uh, end goal, as a job. I mean, it's something that you've been around and been comfortable with your whole life. And it, because of that, and because you got to see the care that your father gave his horses, uh, what, what's going on right now by putting the health and welfare of the horse first uh, is uh, the key to the vitality of the entire horse business. That, that's true. And that's something uh, that my dad used to give me the analogy uh, of the old gas station commercial. Uh, you can pay me now or pay me later. And when a horse needs time off, you give it to him now or you're really going to get it later. So um, th- that's something that's ingrained in me. Well, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the, the, there was uh, the racing symposium, I believe, was this week. And uh, did the... Uh, N-A-A-R-V, I have a session out there, and is that what generated the uh, press release that came out today? That's correct. We're in our sixth year. We are a group of practicing racetrack veterinarians, and um, we've kind of ventured out on our own because we are in the trenches, and we, we just needed a bigger seat at the table in the industry in order to bring, you know, the actual facts and what actually goes on in the backstretch, you know, bring attention to that and show how important it is uh, that the veterinarians are involved in the day-to-day care of the horse and in some of the rulemaking as well. That's fantastic. Well, um, you know, we spoke a little bit earlier today about, uh, shall I call it, continuing education with uh, with trainers, and I think because your organization is so hands-on that it seems like that was uh, kind of a, a hot topic button that uh, uh, your organization is looking at. Well, it was lower on the list of uh, ideas that we had, and um, trainer continuing education doesn't have to be anything crazy, um, but just, you know, to educate them as to how to talk to the media, for example, um, how to, um, you, you know, uh, have some biosecurity measures around the barn, you know, like just, just uh, 
cleaning your uh, bridles between horses, that kind of thing. Um, and it's not just in the face of a, an outbreak or anything like that, but just general safety tips uh, to keep horses healthy. Um, uh, and, and trainers need to be kept abreast of all the new medication rules that are coming out. And so we, we thought that trainer continuing education would be as important as veterinarians and, and stewards and their uh, continuing education that they get uh, year to year to maintain their licensures. So, th- you know, that, that was lower on our list, but it's something that should be out there. Um, you kind of touched on it, and uh, I-, I wanted to get your, your feel uh, for medication, and let's start with Lasix. Uh, that's the biggest, seems like that's one of the biggest debate points right now. I'm looking at it as a layman as saying, well, you know, my son's an athlete, and if when he was playing, his nose kept bleeding, and I had something I could give him before the game to stop his nose from bleeding, I'd do it. Um, so maybe I'm comparing apples to oranges, but uh, it's you know, they say it is performance enhancing. I've always heard it isn't performance enhancing. Uh, doctor, give me your read on that. Well, my read on it is not performance enhancing. It's probably performance optimizing, right? You can't, you can't make any animal run any faster than he can run. But if a horse is bleeding in his lungs and you can prevent that, that's going to optimize his ability to run to form. In other words, he's not going to throw a bad race in because you know, we're controlling his bleeding. And, you know, if you're putting the horse first and there's something out there that can, can, uh, can uh, re- you know, reduce a very uh, uh, devastating uh, injury to a horse that's bleeding, then I think it's, it's we need to do it. I'm 100% in agreement with you. It just, it doesn't, you know, enhance it. It does help that horse run to his fast, but you already stated it's not going to make his legs move faster or give it more determination uh, to get to the finish line. So, obviously, you're out there, you're hearing both sides of it. Uh, do you think there's going to be any significant change? Because I, I know that, uh, like, the uh, HBPA is really railing against it, and that's an organization made up of trainers who say, hey, you know, you think we got small fields now, if you pull Lasix off my horse, I'm not going to be able to run well, here's kind of a different way to look at it. You know, um, every, everything that every doctor does uh, with a patient, you know, we want the science behind it. So if we say something uh, is experimental and we go through the scientific studies to prove that it's beneficial, then we do it. And so we have, we have landmark LASIK studies, double-blinded LASIK studies that show that it is not performance-enhancing and it does mitigate the effects of exercise-induced pulmonary hemorrhage, and so we have the science behind it. To ignore it would be to ignore the care of our patients, and we're just not willing to do that. So, you know, while other countries may run without Lasix, I don't think that's ever going to happen here in the United States. Maybe, you know, two-year-olds and, you know, some house rules may eliminate the use of it in two-year-olds, but, you know, the problem is they really haven't consulted us, and we're the racetrack practitioners. And frankly, you know, bleeding, it, it, it's a cumulative problem in horses. You know, when they continually bleed, they continually scar their lungs and make them less able to do their job. So to me, it's a no-brainer that we should just use it. 
Now, the perception of a horse getting an injection four hours before he runs might be be terrible to some people, but it's it's not like anybody else. I would venture to guess that 98% of people in this world are on some sort of prescription medicine. You know, it's just like wearing eyeglasses. If you can't see, you wear glasses. If you bleed, you take Lasix. It's, you know, it's, it's not to make you run any faster or read any better. It's allowing you to read like a normal person and it's allowing you to run like a normal horse. Well, I'm going to put you in touch with Eric Hamill back at the uh, HBTA, unless you already have been, because uh, you know, he went to school for veterinary sciences, and he's uh, the, the, the head of the HBPA in Kentucky now. Um, and uh, he also ran uh, Ashford Stud for a while as the manager. And, you know, he, he's saying the same things you are. Uh, and really well, what he's trying to do, and I see that he's, he's, he has consulted and is trying to get the backing of veterinarians to speak up exactly uh, what, 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 you, what you're saying right now, doctor. Um, and I've got a question for you that you would know personally. I've always wondered this because they race more often than thoroughbreds. Do standard breads bleed? Standard breads bleed also. Yes, they do. Absolutely. I think they may bleed to a lesser extent because I think part of the pathogenesis of bleeding is the fact that a horse, a thoroughbred horse runs at the gallop and every stride he's putting all his weight down on one limb and you can see where uh, he has the momentum of his body weight going up and down whereas the standard bread kind of is at a trot or a pace, which is a very symmetrical gait, and they do more, you know, vertical movement than, than, than a thoroughbred does. You, can you kind of visualize that in your head, how, how a standard yeah. bread is pulling a cart? But they still, they still bleed, and I, but I don't think it's to the 90 to 95% that the thoroughbreds bleed, but I would say upwards of 60%, and I do have standard bread clients, and we do deal with the issue there as well. I have a friend of mine who's a veterinarian, and he, he bought in on, on a uh, standard bred horse, and he said, John, he says, this is great. He says, we run once a week. He says, I'm partners on some thoroughbreds. I don't see them for, you know, 90 days at a time going to a starting gate. Uh, and I think yeah, it, it does have to do with what you just said as far as uh, their stride and the inertia and things like that. Right. Well, a, a standard bread racing is, is a lot of fun because there's a lot of action for the owners. That's for sure. And if they weren't allowed to use Lasix and had to race every week, then you could see the cumulative problem of a horse, you know, falling down the ladder of uh, its value and, and not being a useful animal, you know, for racing anymore. Well, uh, I, I see that NARV, uh, you know, I know that they support the racing rules that foster the optimal safety of the racehorse, but I see that you also support changes in certain race types and that you even, uh, you know, advocate for the, the lower claimers and uh, trying to uh, support the increase of bottom claiming prices. Uh, I thought that was a very interesting comment that I read in the press release. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that the bottom claiming price in thoroughbreds 25 years ago was 5000 and pretty much the bottom claiming price today where we practice is about 5000 Uh Yet the cost of breeding and raising that horse was much, much less expensive 25 years ago than it is now. And, you know, those, those horses have value. And we need, we need to you know, not make a, a horse drop them down to worth, where it's only worth 5000 or $4,000. I think the minimum should be, you know, up around ten to 15000 or twenty. You know, they, they do have value. 
And, you know, you point out something that's true as far as, uh, you know, let's just say day rate and the cost of keeping a horse in training compared to 20 years ago. You know how the well, prices exactly. have gone up. You know, I, and I know very well. I own horses as well. It, you know, I mean, so, just yeah. right down to the hay and straw. I mean, I'm not even well, talking every, about the high tech every, Everything is, is up. When I started in 1989, a day rate was anywhere from 25 to $35 a day. The best guys were getting 40 a day. Today, you know, the best guys get 100 to 120 a day or even more. And yet that horse is still worth $5,000. It doesn't, it doesn't, it just doesn't add up. It's not sustainable. And, you know, again, you just talked about the price difference. That's not necessarily because uh, the, the trainer's gouging anybody. It's just because everything from uh, the expense of his tax to uh, all medications and, and feed and like that has gone up. It's not like, hey, I'm such a big shot, I'm going to charge $100 a day. Yeah, he might be one of the best trainers, but his cost went up too, and if he's keeping the best horses and training at the track, you know, he's getting the best uh, equipment and everything else the horse needs. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't like when people kind of assimilate or, or, or assume that a trainer's making money on his day rate. He's really not. I mean, by the time he pays his workman's compensation and he pays his labor, and, you know, we had the labor board issue this past year uh, with some very famous trainers who had to come up with a very, very large check for failing to pay the overtime. And, you know, that, that labor itself is the most uh, expensive part of this game, and you need a lot of it to do your job correctly. And, and, you and know, to say you that, that horse is still so cheap, it, it just doesn't it just doesn't add up. And as you know, you need good people, so you have to pay them according to their skills. I mean, when you look at the top trainers, at least the ones I know personally, I, I see staff members there that have been with them for twenty years. Yep, that's very true, and they're very loyal and they're very valued employees. And, um, and you know, frankly, they're probably still underpaid. You know, of course, you know, we're forced to pay minimum, which is whatever an hour these days between 10 and $15. And, you know, it, it, it costs a lot of money to run a stable. Absolutely. Well, uh, Dr. Nicholas Martinez, uh, I've got your phone number. I hope I can call you back sometime when you're not in the middle of a, of a party. I apologize uh, for the quick turnaround, but this is such a hot spot right now. I wanted to get an expert in here to talk to well, thank you, John. I appreciate your uh, thinking of us and uh, giving our press release some, some uh, press, so to speak. <laughs> All right. Well, get back to your party. Thanks again. I greatly appreciate it. And I greatly appreciate Jake Kirkman coming on with us, a guy that's covered every single Breeders' Cup race in history. What a guy to bring on. Well, uh, I'm John Engelhard talking to you from... Uh, Walton, Kentucky. I gotta go upstairs and make sure all the horses and chickens and stuff are in and fed. And uh, I want want to thank uh, my production staff at uh, the the home base, shall we say, uh, for uh, helping me through this show. So uh, for everybody involved at Winning Ponies, I'm John Engelhart. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.